Welcome to another edition of Now is the Time with Steve Bergson on Hebrew Nation Radio. Now is the Time is a production of MTOI, Messianic Torah Observant Israel. For more information, visit mtoi.org. Now, here's Steve. All right, so today we are in, we are in Are You Covenanted Part 32? Are You Covenanted Part 32? And we are going to continue in our journey through the book of Proverbs and learning and breaking down some of the key phrases and terms that are being used here in Proverbs chapter 5. A reminder for everyone who, especially if you're new listening to this, that we're dealing with the idea of covenant from the understanding that a covenant is an agreement, usually formal, between two or more persons to do or not do something specified. Okay, in our case, what we're looking at is the covenant between Yahweh and mankind, which was given at Mount Sinai, Exodus 19, where he said, if you will obey everything that comes out of my mouth, if you'll do what I say, I will take care of everything else. I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what he said. I will accept you and take you as my people and bless you abundantly in all areas of life. That was the... Now, of course, when the covenant is between Yahweh and mankind, there are conditions attached to that oath on the human side. In other words, there's no expectation that he'll break his word, but there is a possibility we'll break ours. And so there are consequences. I know we don't like that idea that there are consequences. But he lays out the consequences so that there's no um, issue in terms of saying, but I didn't know. Well, no, he explains. He says, if you obey, you get this, this, and this. Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26, you have places where he explains it all out there. And then you've got places where he also then says, but if you don't, then you get this, this, and this. The blessings and the cursings as we understand them when we study them out. So now we got to Proverbs, and what we started understanding in Proverbs is that there was a connection here between wisdom, knowledge, and understanding in our keeping of covenant. That we needed to have these three elements involved And we started to understand how they play into covenant keeping. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Okay, now, the wisdom we understand is the wisdom from above. It's his wisdom. Knowledge is relational, that we needed to have a relationship with him and with what he was instructing us to do and in the covenanting. And understanding, it was his understanding, not ours. See, so we we had a book ended that way. It's... Wisdom and understanding are both his. We need to understand things the way he understands them. We need to have the wisdom that comes from him. And in that it builds a relationship, a knowing, an intimacy with him. Because if you don't have his wisdom and his knowledge, then you have the wrong understanding. I mean, excuse me, his wisdom and his knowledge, understanding, you have the wrong knowledge, you have the wrong relationship. You don't have the relationship you think of. I said that wrong three times, let me try it again. If you don't have his wisdom and his understanding, the knowledge or the relationship you think you have will not be what you think it is. You'll think you have a relationship that you really don't have. Because without his wisdom and understanding, you will be in error about what he's all about. And that's where we don't want to be. We don't want to be in in a confusion or in a false understanding of what he's doing, why he's doing it, and where he's going, and what he expects from us. Okay? So there's a huge piece of this covenant keeping. Because you know what? I think there's a lot of people out there that think they're covenant keeping, but they think they have a say in how that covenant looks. They have a way of changing, manipulating, and bending and twisting that covenantal idea to their own image. 
But he says over and over again, we looked at it last week, no, it's my wisdom, it's my understanding that determines what's going on, not yours. And we've said, just like the person who said, you know, Lord, Lord, you know, Master, Master, and he said, get away from me, I don't know you. Those people were in that middle ground of knowledge, but they didn't have his wisdom and his understanding, and they were in error. So they had a relationship, just not the one that they thought they had. Remember, I said this before, what determines whether or not you have a relationship with him is not whether you think you do, it's whether he thinks you do. And that's a really important one. You can put that one on a t-shirt, okay? It's not bad about whether you think you have a relationship. How many of you thought you had a great relationship with the Messiah when you were in the church? Only to find out you didn't have quite the thought of the relationship that you thought you had, did you? You had an emotional thing going, and it was hard to recognize that. He says, and John says anyway in 1 John, if you say you know him and have a relationship with him, but don't keep his commandments, you're kidding yourself is what he says. I wouldn't say, I don't like the word liar there translated the way it is because it sort of has a connotation that you're doing it on purpose. I would re, I would re kind of word that as, well, you're kidding yourself. You're fooling yourself. You're, you're walking in a lie. You're not in the truth there. Because then he says, if you do that, then the truth of Yeshua is not in you. And so you had a relationship spark or beginnings when you were in the church. But as far as the actual the relationship that he desires, he didn't have one of those. You were very much in that place of, Lord, Lord. And he goes, uh-uh. You recognized him as a, you know who he is. Like they actually went and found Yeshua and said, Lord, Lord. <laughs> so they didn't go to the wrong person. They didn't go to the wrong being. But he said, ah, but I didn't have the relationship that you thought I had with you. Because I expected different behavior out of you. A covenant has in it an expectation of doing or not doing specified things. If you're going to be in a system that has said those specified things have been done away with, then how can you have a relationship based on those specified things? Well, they change it around. It's a new type of relationship based on different things. And that's when he said, I didn't, I never decided that you did. We can't do that. We can't decide what determines the relationship. He does. Okay? Now, that's the uniqueness of that relationship. Look, when you get married, you and your spouse can decide what your relationship will look like. You negotiate that, you discuss it, and then you agree. Okay? When we work with Yahweh, it's not one of those type of deals. He says, I am offering you this. It's non-negotiable. You don't have to take it, but it's non-negotiable. This is what I'm offering. Okay, so we don't get a say in that. (laughs) And that's only because of all the beings in the universe, he's the only one that's perfect and right. So why should we have anything to say about that when we're so flawed and wrong? Why should that which is flawed and wrong tell that which is perfect and right what to do or how to do it? That one doesn't make any sense at all. But we think we should do that. All right, Proverbs chapter 5. Okay, so we were starting, and we'll go back to verse 1 again, because we're trying to get back to verse 5, but we've just got four verses to read first. My son, listen to my wisdom, there it is, and incline your ear to my understanding. We covered that a lot last part. So as to watch over discretion, and your lips guard knowledge, to guard the relationship. See, what we say can mess up or defend and guard after that relationship. He says, 
For the lips of a strange woman drip with honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. And we talked about the smooth things and how that could be tempting and drawing us after that which looks good but isn't. But in the end, she is as bitter. She's bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Now, get to verse 5 because we covered all those first four verses last time. In verse 5, it talks about, but in the end, okay, that she's bitter and wormwood, etc., her feet go down to death. So her wisdom... Her, the words and things that are coming out of her honey dripping lips, etc., is going to go down to death. Her steps lay hold of the grave. She does not consider the path of life. Her ways are unstable. You do not know it. Okay? You do not have a relationship with it. You should not be under, going into that level of relationship. Remember, knowing is relational, not informational. So let's deal with these two ideas in verses 5 and 6. The idea about the feet going down to the grave and the idea of her ways being unstable. Let's remember again in Proverbs 14, 12, you can turn a few pages over. There's a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Okay? So here we are that there's a, a woman who's trying to lead you away from... He's, remember, we're comparing and contrasting my son, listen to me, with, by the way, there'll be this, this sweet, honey-lipped, you know, wonderfully sounding, enticing other idea. But listen to me. Don't listen to that. It's using a beautiful, poetic picture language here. Don't get distracted by that. It's basically saying... My wisdom, my understanding, but there will be somebody else who's going to sound like their wisdom and their understanding is better, more clear, what you really want. It's enticing. It's alluring. It's tempting. Okay? But he said, look, in the end, it leads to wormwood, which we talked about with disobedience and going off in the wrong direction and how that ends up blowing up in your face. And he's saying, but her feet go down to death. Her steps lay a hold of the grave. Her feet go down to death. So when you see the word feet, it's trying to talk about our halakha, our walk. Okay, because it's not just literally about her feet and going somewhere. It's following in her footsteps, which is following the way somebody does something. Doing things the way she does them is going to lead to death. And by the way, why do we want to do what she's doing? Proverbs 14, 12. Because it seems right to us. It doesn't seem right to him, but it seems right to you. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it doesn't work very well. It leads to death. So we choose this honey dripping, whatever the, the imagery is supposed to give us, this other way of doing things, this other instruction, this other path. We give it credence and we like it because it seems right to us. That's where we end up in a big problem. You got to get that I, I, me, me out of it. Don't filter things through you. Filter them through him. My son, listen to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding. That's where we need to stay in verse 1 of chapter 5. Incline our ears to his understanding. Listen to his wisdom. Do not get involved with your own wisdom and your own understanding or somebody else's. And some of you will be like, oh, but it's the problem is that she's teaching wrong. Yeah, it's a problem for her. And it's actually not a woman, literally. It's a, it's a metaphor of that which would entice us, that which would draw us away. So whoever's doing this instructing and teaching, remember, don't blame them. 
You liked it. You desired it. It seemed right to you. That's why you went in that direction. Because you filtered it through you. And said, I like that better. That way makes more sense to me. I prefer that. I didn't like the way the anointed appointed was delivering it. Which, by the way, happened to every one of them. That's why they killed the prophets, killed everybody. Okay? Because they didn't like when the anointed appointed delivered it straight from Yahweh's mouth. Because you know what? Watch the way they delivered it. Do you hear things like, you know, we'll take uh, Jeremiah. Okay? Or Isaiah. Isaiah. In Isaiah, we have him saying things, listen, Yaakov, you maggot. Oh, that doesn't sound like honey dripping lips. How about Shaul saying, you stupid, foolish Galatians. (laughs) Nothing honey dripping about that either. Okay? We have to be careful that we're not filtering through our emotional sensitivities. We have to just want it to be his list, listening to his wisdom and his understanding. All right, so her feet. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 10. We're dealing with this idea of feet. Now, I could tie it into Proverbs 6 for you. My wife would probably be very happy if I did that. Because they're doing a teaching on Proverbs 6. So maybe I'll do that in a minute here. Okay? Stephanie's happy too if I get go to Proverbs 6. Okay, let's do, we'll do Jeremiah 10 first though. Okay? We do have a teaching on Proverbs 6. You can always hear that anyway. So you don't need to have me say it now. But we'll just do it because it'll make my wife happy. And as a husband, I want to make my wife happy. So... By the way, none of you need to be paying attention to that. That was just between us. Okay. Um, Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 1. Okay. We're going to kind of go through a good chunk of Jeremiah chapter 10 so that we get to this understanding that, okay, let's just read the verse that we're going to get to. We're going to get to verse 23. So you know why I'm in Jeremiah 10. Let's go look at verse 23. Oh, Yahweh, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not for man who walks to direct his own steps. Now, I could be like a normal Sunday preacher and say, that's all I need to do is go to that verse because it says what I want it to say. That's great. And it's actually the right verse to make the right point, even though the Sunday guys don't always get that right. But I want you to understand why he's saying it. Why is that verse in verse 23 being said? What is going on where he realizes, I know the way of man is not in himself? Let's go to chapter 10, verse 1. Let's get the context here. Hear the word which Yahweh speaks to you, O house of Israel. Now, some of you have not really figured out who you are or who you're supposed to be. Go listen to Discovering Your Identity. It's part of the CC 101, the Covenant Community 101 teachings, because you need to first recognize that you are, if you're covenanted, Israel. Because some of you may read that going, oh, yeah, but that's for those Jews. Well, it doesn't say Judah here. It says Israel. That's all of them. Okay, listen, house of Israel. Okay, and he says, thus said Yahweh, do not learn the way of the Goyim, the Gentiles, the nations, and do not be awed by the signs of the heavens, for the Gentiles are awed by them. So that's the problem that's going to lead us to verse 23, is that we are learning the ways of the nations, or we've already learned them, and now we come into this and we don't want to let them go. Some of you have more of that struggle. You've already learned the ways of the nations. You were raised that way, and now letting go is kind of hard to do. 
Okay, letting go is the challenge. Releasing those emotional ties to the ways of the nations. Remember, we have a teaching called do not do as they do. There's a lot of verses in the Tanakh, especially in the, in the Exodus story going in through Exodus numbers and Leviticus, etc., where he says, do not do as you travel through the lands of the Gentiles to the land itself. He says, do not learn their ways. Do not do as they do to their Elohim. Do not do that to me. And so he especially doesn't want us to learn their behaviors and how they treat that which they worship. Because they all worship something. And he says, don't worship me the way they worship their gods. Okay, now, that being said, as we're looking here, he's saying, so don't learn, he's saying it again in Jeremiah. This is also previous in Moses' time they were saying this. Nothing has changed. He said, don't be awed by Okay, and it's not just awed by the signs in the heaven. He said, don't be awed by what the Gentiles do. Wow, that looks good. That seems to work. That looks fun. I like that. Also, don't come into Torah observant covenant and go find yourself a Mesocostal, Mesobaptist, Mesolutheran, Mesocatholic, Mesomess. Because it has some of that stuff still in there that you like and you're comfortable with. Look for the truth that's the truth. And stop filtering through the denominational background that you come from. Be careful with that. He says, for the prescribed customs of these peoples are, whoa, worthless. See, he talks real nice and sweet and honey dripping. I, you need to get to the place. A lot of you are already there. But you need to get to the place where, you know what? You're just tired of the sweet talk and you just want it straight. Can you get there where you said, you know what, I've heard enough ear, ear tickling, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's happy, feel good, name it, claim it. Just I'm walking in favor of nonsense. You know what, life is hard. You know that's all not true. You have your moments, but you want to figure this out because reality is where we want to live. A lot of them are wanting you to live in fantasy land. But we live in the real world. In the real world, there's real problems, but there's an Elohim, there's a creator, there's a Messiah that we can lean on to help us survive through this place called the world, the life that we have. And nowhere does he say, while we're scattered in this dispersion, that if you just believe and call on his name or make an altar call or whatever, that then, you know, gold is going to fly out of your belly button and roses out of your ears. Okay? He doesn't say all of a sudden, all your life is going to be perfect now. There's no such verse. Now, if you say, well, I heard this guy on Sunday say that, well, he quoted one verse out of context, probably. Okay, when I say probably, I'm saying probably he quoted a verse, maybe. Okay, the out of context part is not probably. I'm sure that it's out of context. Let's understand that he's saying, look, the prescribed customs of the people, the way they do things is worthless. Now, there are those that will think the next couple of verses are describing a Christmas tree, and it certainly could be. It also could be that they cut down a tree and they fashion it into an idol. So there are those that say, that has nothing to do with a Christmas tree. Certainly sounds like one, though. He says, for one cuts a tree from the forest, work for the hands of a craftsman with a cutting tool. They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it does not topple. Of course, that could be an idol or it could be the tree. Okay. They are like a rounded post and they do not speak. They have to be carried because they do not walk. Do not be afraid of them for they do no evil, nor is it in any, them any to do good. Excuse me, nor is it in them to do any good. There is none like you, O Yahweh. You are great and great is your name, your authority and might. Who would not fear you, O sovereign of the nations? 
For this is your due for among all the wise men of the nations, and in all their reigns there is none like you. So he's trying to give us in here, just like we're reading in Proverbs, a contrast. Almost from Genesis 1 through Revelation 21, 22, when we get to the end of the book, what do you see? A contrast between their way and his way, your way and his way. Fear and doubt versus trust and belief. So he's giving us comparisons. He told you their way is useless, it's worthless, they do these things, don't do them, don't be impressed, don't have awe about them, because there is none like your Elohim. See, but they claim their Elohim is just like yours. Not so. He says... They are both brutish and foolish, and destruction of worthlessness is the tree. Silver is beaten into plates, it is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz. The work of craftsmanship of the hands of the smith, draped in blue and purple, all of them are the work of skilled ones. But Yahweh is truly Elohim, he is the living Elohim and the everlasting sovereign. At his wrath the earth shakes and nations are unable to stand his displeasure. Look, what is going on here in chapter 10? They are literally dealing with a continuous problem with idolatry in a literal sense. Do we have a literal problem with idolatry today? No. People are not generally making physical things and praying to them within the covenanted people. This is going on with covenanted people here in Jeremiah. But we have another type of idolatry where we elevate people, teachers, or other things above Yahweh and what Yahweh says. So we make the same mistake. It just takes a slightly different form. Instead of a physical form, like a physical idol that looks like a fish or looks like a whatever, like a Dagon or a Chemosh or whatever it was, we don't do that today within the covenanted body. But remember, when Jeremiah is walking around Jerusalem, this stuff is going on all over the place. They're still making these things and still selling them and buying them and everything. And Yahweh says, no. For Yahweh is truly Elohim. He is the living Elohim and the everlasting sovereign. And in his wrath, the earth shakes and nations are unable to stand his displeasure. Say to them this, the Allah that did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. Now, let me take this moment just because I can, okay? <laughs> to clarify some, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Okay, the, the, uh, the word studies that people do, okay, they're, the way words are derived. I just, the etymology, thank you, that's the word I was fishing for. Okay, I want to fix some of these etymological problems that you guys have. Because some people out there will have a big problem saying the word God. Why? Well, because it's connected to some pagan thing, blah, 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 blah. Listen, almost every word coming out of your mouth, I could probably extrapolate back to something. But let's look at here. Yahweh himself refers to the false Elah. Elah for singular for Elohim. The El, the false Els. El and Elohim are not unique to Yahweh. He uses it the way we would use the word God today. In other verses he says, do not worship me as they worship their Elohim. He used the word Elohim with them. He says, I am Yahweh your Elohim. 
So let's just be careful that we don't get all caught up in this sacred name, very somewhat emotionally abusive, because people are judgmental about, oh, if you say the magic name, then all things go great. If you don't, you're going to hell or something. Okay, let's not do that. Okay, 99% of the people that I talk to that think that they understand the name a certain way have zero background in Hebrew. Zero. Or two Israeli friends in a blue letter Bible. Some of you know that joke. Okay, so um, it's, it's just there's no understanding of the language. So let's not get caught up in that, you know, if I say Lord, or if I say God, oh, no, that's not a problem. It's referring to, in the language we speak, either the master or the Elohim, or the one that's worshipped. Now, we know who the true one is, but we still refer to him as Elohim. He refers to himself as Yahweh Elohim. So let's be careful with that. okay? Because here, in this verse, you see him doing it very specifically. He says, very clearly, the Allah that did not make the heavens, that's the false ones, and the earth shall perish from them, from the, uh, the dynamic heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth from under these heavens. See, this, this we have to understand so we don't get all cut up and beating each other up because, oh, you said that. No, let's not do that. Okay? I think we all, did, you know, after hearing Beware False Prophets, know that we should call him Yeshua and not call him the other name, and there's reasons for that. Not just because it's not his name. Not just because it's etymologically wrong. But because it's being used for a nefarious purpose. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to the teaching. Beware false prophets. Okay, but this is what we need to understand. So, so there's a contrast going on here. So he said, they did not make... And then verse 12 is referring back to Yahweh. He said, but he has made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom and his has stretched out the heavens by his understanding. Everything is in his order, for his purpose. When he makes his voice heard, there's a roaring of waters in the heavens, and he makes vapors rise from the ends of the earth, the lightnings for rain he has made, and and brings wind from his treasuries. Everyone is brutish in knowledge. Every smith is put to shame by his idol, for his molded image is falsehood, and there is no spirit in them. They are worthless, a work of mockery. In the time of their punishment, they perish. Now hold on here. Let's understand again. For us today, as always, when you read stuff that was from thousands of years ago, you must be looking at it from the point of view of two things. One is, what was really going on? Why was it being said and everything? The other part of it is, what in it relates to me now? What part of this has to do with me now? And the answer here is, what are you doing in your life that's like this, without the physical part of it being a physical idol, but are you putting other ideas, thoughts, teachings, religious systems, whatever it is, belief systems, above what Torah says? Above what Torah says. This could look like what the Adventists do with Ellen White. This could look like what the Jews do with the Talmud. This could look like what the Catholics do with all their catechisms and other things and the writings of Paul. Okay, we can elevate stuff above what Yahweh said. We have to be very, very careful that we're not doing that. Okay? Because that's the trap. Yahweh says very clearly in Ezekiel 22, we've read it many times, there are those out there that say, thus said Yahweh when Yahweh hadn't said. 
That doesn't mean traditions are all bad. It doesn't mean our understandings that are coming from this information are all bad. we just got to be careful we're not elevating it to either A, B, claim to be Yahweh said it when he didn't, or B, use it as a means to undermine something Yahweh did say. Very, very important. By the way, that would eliminate the entire Christian teaching of the law being done away with, because that flies in the face of something Yahweh said. Yahweh never said the law was done away with. Nowhere. Matter of fact, he spends a lot of time wasting a lot of breath, apparently, telling everybody the law is the law. You must guard it, keep it, love it, follow it, honor it, submit to it. I don't know, 500,000 times between Genesis and Second Chronicles. Or if your book is different, Genesis to Malachi in the Old Testament. It's completely irrational for us to read this book, except that we were brainwashed and indoctrinated and well-churched. It's completely just insane that we could read the New Testament if we really knew the Old Testament and say that the law could possibly be ever done away with. Because you read the Old Testament, it is the basis of the relationship. And by the way, John tells us that in 1 John. It's the basis, the core of the relationship. If you say you know him and don't keep the commandments, well, then you're not really knowing him. You don't know him. So let's keep that in mind as we go through this. And so as we're going to eventually get to this idea of how we put our feet. Because when we get distracted, when we get ear tickled, when we go after that honey dripping, whatever it is that entices us, we will then walk different. And that walking different puts us on a different path. Remember the image that I've taught you many times about the path that leads from where you are to the kingdom door. And while you're on the path, you're covered by the canopy. Yeshua's blood covers you. His mercy, his compassion covers you while you're walking on the path. Because you're going to make some mistakes, but you're on the path. But you know what? The path could turn off to the left or the right and look like you're still on the path, but you're not. Anybody ever follow somebody, get distracted for a minute, and then, not, especially at night, then realize, wait a minute, I'm following a different car now. Anybody ever do that? I've done that. And then you're off in a wrong direction going, uh-oh, I don't know where I'm going and I'm no longer behind the right car. But you thought you were on the right path, though, didn't you, when you were doing that? So the, the path doesn't split necessarily, but if you get distracted, it, you may next, have never know. You're on a different path all of a sudden. You never know. Just off to the side. And you're no longer headed to the kingdom door. But it seemed right to you, but it leads to death. Only one path leads to life you got to stay on that path, the one that leads to life. And so he's trying to make a case here before we get to verse 23 to say, look, there are the false ones that are going to tempt you. He says, don't be awed. Don't be all impressed. Don't be wanting to do what they're doing. He is the only one. He is mighty. He is awesome. He set everything in motion. How could you even compare this dead tree that was cut down and fashioned in wood to something with the creator of all things? You can't make him. You can make an idol out of stone, out of wood. You can't make the creator. He made you. (laughs) It's like all those people out there saying, you got to claim Yeshua, you got to claim Messiah as your personal Messiah, your personal Savior. And I've always said, stop that. He's not your personal anything. You're his personal something. He died, bought and paid for you. What did you do to get him? Well, I made an altar call. So what is he, a genie now? you got to make an altar call. You can rub the, the genie thing, and now he's got to do stuff for you? What, are you crazy? 
That's just nuts. He died to pay for you, to buy you. You are bought and paid for. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that you're bought and paid for? Why, why, do, you, why do you think otherwise? Because we're so self-possessed. We're so, everybody wants to, I think that person had a demon. No, you got you. <laughs> you're already possessed. Forget about a demon, you're possessed with you. And by the way, that's worse than a demon. You're possessed by you. Got to get you out of the way. The I, I, me, me is what's killing you. It's what's screwing up your whole life. Get that out of the way. Things will work better. Everywhere that I struggle, everywhere I've ever had a problem, it's because I got in the way. Somehow it became about me, what I wanted, the way I thought, the way I wanted. Me, me, I, I, that messes everything up. There's the way that seems right to the man. I, I, I think, I know, this is the right thing. Boom, leads the wrong way, goes and blows up in your face. Let's remember that. He says, back to verse, uh, as we're going through this, notice that he calls the other things brutish. Brutish. What, what does he mean by brutish? In other words, he's saying, he's trying to give us a comparison in the light and shade and the, the different comparison of the finesse and the brilliance and the artistry with brutish. Okay, so how can I give you an example? So you hear somebody with skill playing the, pa- the keyboard, the piano, and somebody else walks over with fists and just starts banging on it. Okay, that's brutish, as opposed to the artistry that you can do when you take the time to have the skill developed to do it the right way. It says, all oh, these guys, everyone is brutish in their knowledge. In other words, it is in big, you know, Ham-fisted ways, use it that term, and that's, yeah, that's unclean. See, that's a word we always use as a phrase, in these big-fisted ways, but we do these brutish things, and we think we're so smart. Because we can't see the intricacies, the brilliance, the delicate way the Creator is controlling and has authority over everything. We can't see it, because we're brutish. He says that all the time in here. Then he goes, in verse 15, he says, They are worthless, a work of mockery in the time of their punishment they perish. The portion of Yaakov is not like these. I have separated you from the rest of the world, the Goyim, the Gentiles, and called you my people. Your inheritance, your your future is not, the portion is not like these. For he is the maker of all, and Yisrael is the tribe of his inheritance. Praise Yah. Yahweh of hosts is his name. Gather up your bundle from the ground, you who live under siege. For thus said Yahweh, see at this time I am hurling out the inhabitants of the land and shall distress them so that they feel it. We have a problem as human beings. One of the problems, that well we have lots of them obviously, but one of the problems we have is we tend to have a real problem with consequences either having them happen to us or allowing them to happen to others that we care about. Because after all, we know that they will suffer in the consequence. But you know what? You may be undermining the Father's whole plan by allowing them to have a consequence because the consequence is supposed to do this. It's supposed to so they feel it. He said, I'm distressing them so they get it because I've been dealing with them since Exodus and they still don't get it. Because I gave them the commandments. And the first one said, I am Yahweh. And the second one said, don't make idols. 
And they're still doing it. So guess what? I'm going to allow them to go through something where they are going to feel it. You got to let your children go through stuff sometimes. You got to let other family members go through stuff sometimes. Because they, sometimes they need to feel it. It'd be nice if they didn't. You'd save them a lot of strain, stress, pain, you know, tears, anger, whatever. You would save them a whole lot of heartache. But they won't listen unless they feel it for themselves sometimes. And so you have to allow the consequences. He's saying, look, I am at this time, I am hurling out the inhabitants of the land and shall distress them so they feel it. Because up to this point, I've been coddling them, they've been getting away with stuff, and I'm done with that. They need to feel it. And here, here's Jeremiah trying to warn them about Babylon, and yet the Assyrians had already taken the northern kingdom away, and this genius group, by the way, remember we did that teaching called, what are you thinking? Don't be wondering and calling these guys names like I just did without saying you're seeing yourself also. Oh yeah, these guys are acting the fool right here, but so do we. So don't, don't have a problem looking at them and saying, that's dumb. But then look at yourself and go, okay, and how am I doing the same thing? Are we clear? You're allowed to recognize that what they're doing is dumb. But also recognize you do equally dumb things when you act like they act. That's why Paul says all this stuff was written for you as examples. Because we tend to be just as dumb. That's why I did the teaching, what are you thinking, right? Now, so he says, look, I need them to feel it. Woe to me for my breaking. My wound is grievous, but I say, this is my sickness and I bear it. My tent has been ravaged and all my cords have been broken. My children are gone from me and they are no more. There is no one to pitch my tent anymore or to set up my curtains. So now people are going to all be freaking out. They're losing everything for the shepherds have become brutish and they have not sought Yahweh. So now here's another connection between brutish and trying to do it your way. See how I connected it before and here it's endorsed here. And again, I'm just reading through it, allowing the Ruach to give me some insight. And then here's a verse that backs up everything I just said. The shepherds, the teachers, the people that are there to lead have become brutish. They have not sought Yahweh. They've, sought their, they've leaned on their own understanding. Well, you have verses that say, do not lean on your own understanding. And all their flock are scattered. Therefore, they did not understand. They didn't seek Yahweh, so they didn't understand. My son, understand my wisdom. He says, my son, incline your ears towards my understanding. He said they did not understand. Why? Because they tried to understand it their way, not his way. He says, and all their flock scattered. Things can only hold together with structure. Things only hold together with structure. So if you think of it like liquid, if you put it in a container, it holds together. You pull the container away, it just scatters. You could do it even with sand, something that's fairly loose. You put it in a container, it's fine. You take it out of the container... It just scatters. We're just like that. We need structure. He's saying, look, we, we got to start off with the beginning of structure, getting online, getting it underneath and in line with our Creator and not going and seeking it in other places. But there's a problem also with the teachers, the shepherds. They become brutish. Did that sort Yahweh? See, it has come. By not sought Yahweh, by the way, it doesn't mean they don't pick up the book and read the word. It means that they're picking up the book and trying to interpret it in their own understanding instead of submitting under his understanding. Because they have an agenda of their own. 
You all should know this. You can pick up this book with an agenda and find whatever you want. There's a verse that will help you make your case for anything. Just figure out what you want and go look for verses that back it up. You can. It won't be in context. You won't be finding. I mean, the book doesn't actually endorse everything that you can think of. But if you look it up and you take it out of context, you can have the book say almost anything. See, it has come, verse 22, the voice of a report and a great shaking out of the land of the north to make the cities of Yehuda a waste, a habitation of jackals. In other words, Babylon's coming. Oh, Yahweh, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not for man who walks to direct his own steps. So here's a recognition of this is the problem. So all this that's going on in chapter 10 is this reason right here, where because we don't know what we're doing, we tend to be awed by things we don't need to be awed by, impressed by things we don't need to be impressed with, and then we seek after or get under that mess. He says, Oh, Yahweh, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not for man. Okay, let's wait. It's not in himself, so that's why they need anointed, appointed, and teachers and structure. And by the way, there are people out there that say, you know, I'm getting really tired of rabbis saying this every week and really finding excuses to pick on structure and leadership and anointed, appointed. You know why? He says it, so I say it. And if you could tell me that something else is the problem other than this, I'll start teaching something else. I'm open. If you can show me that the problem is not leadership and structure and our, how we interact with it, then I'd be happy to teach something else. But everywhere we go, what's the problem right here in, 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 in Judah when Jeremiah is going? They had a problem with leadership and structure and being in line with their creator. The creator was leading them in a direction and the leadership was going in a different direction. And the people were going in a whole other direction. So, I mean, if you could give me a, look, it's like the joke I told many years ago and many times where the pastor or the rabbi, whatever, gave the same message three, four weeks in a row. And finally people thought, hey, it was a great message. But after two or three times, somebody needs to go tell that guy he may have Alzheimer's or something, you know, maybe he just doesn't know what he's doing. And the answer was, when you start doing it, I'll start, I'll stop teaching it. And I'm not, I know some of you are preaching to the choir, so to speak. But the body, since the beginning, has had a leadership structure problem all the way to Rabbi Tom taught about it two weeks ago, all the way back to Adam and Chava. There was a leadership structure problem. Adam did not, and Chava did not, act appropriately in that structure. All problems essentially come back to that. And I'm not just saying it. He said it right here. He said the shepherds have become brutish, and have, so the shepherds have dropped the ball. And people are making idols, and they've dropped the ball, and it is not in man. Oh, I don't need a teacher. I just have the Ruach teaching me. No, I'm sorry. It is not in you to figure this out. Oh, but the Ruach. Yeah, but the Ruach is interacting with you, and you don't know what's the Ruach and what's you. You are going to have a problem, and if you don't think, uh, look, you could just say, this guy's crazy and ignore me. But I'm telling you right now, you are going to have a problem, whether you like it or not, whether you want to agree with me or not, I'm telling you that you're going to have a problem discerning the difference between what you want and what the Ruach wants. And you're going to interpret you as it. You're going to insist that you feel led of the Spirit when really you're led of you. Not always, but some of the things you're going to do and you're going to attribute to the Ruach leading you is not going to be the Ruach. Don't believe me, it's okay. But I'm telling you, I'm right. Because it, bear, it bears witness in this book. And that's why there's structure. Because it's not in man to know which way to place his own feet. 
or direct his own steps. O Yahweh, chastise me, but with right ruling, not in your displeasure, lest you bring me to naught, pour out your wrath on the nations who do not know you, do not have a relationship with you, and on the tribes who do not call on your name, for they have eaten up Yaakov, devoured him, and consumed him, and laid waste to his home. Now, don't misunderstand verse 25. He's not blaming the nations. He's not blaming those who come and done these things to Yaakov. No. They, the blame goes to Yaakov for following it, submitting to it, joining with it. They were tempted and they gave into the temptations. The lip stripping honey is what's happening here. He's saying, look. Pour out your wrath on the Gentiles who do not know you and on the tribes who don't call on your name, on your authority. For they have, by doing what they're doing, and Jacob being weak, which is why in Isaiah he calls them weak, spineless maggots, they have given in and followed and it devoured them and consumed them and laid waste to their homes. Had they submitted, none of this happens. Do we all believe that? You need to know that and believe that. If they had repented, anybody remember a place called Nineveh? If they had repented like Nineveh, the wrath would have been spared them. But you don't see them repenting. So he says, I'm going to bring you distress and you're going to feel it this time. By the way, isn't that consistent with we have many places where he says, and if they don't listen to me, I will pour forth and I will curse them more again. And if they still don't listen, I'll curse them again. And if they still don't listen, I will curse them again. This is playing out exactly what he warned them of. They didn't listen, they get the curse. And shame on them. Go to chapter 11. The word that came to Yahweh from Yahweh saying, hear the words of this covenant. And speak to the men of Yehuda and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And you shall say to them, Thus said Yahweh Elohim of Israel, Cursed is the man who does not obey the words of this covenant. So in case you're wondering, well, why is he over here in Jeremiah 10? What's it have to do with covenant? Because it's the setup to verse chapter, the verses in chapter 11. It's all about the covenant. Their list, this is all of what Proverbs is talking about playing out right here. They were drawn to the honey lips and whatever it was, it looked like they, you know, their discretion was gone. The wisdom was gone. Their knowledge and understanding was gone. They went in the wrong direction. And he's saying, look, hear the words of this covenant. Say to them, thus said Yahweh Elohim, curses the man who does not obey the words of this covenant, which I commanded. Which covenant? Which I commanded your fathers. In case you're wondering, oh, he's just talking about the covenant right now with Jeremiah. No, no, no which I commanded your fathers in the day when I brought them out of the land of Mitzrayim from the iron furnace, saying, Obey my voice. Oh, the covenant from Exodus 19 is still in play here. It's still the issue. And he's saying, Tell them, Cursed is the man who doesn't obey the words of the Exodus 19 covenant. The one that I commanded the fathers when they came to Sinai. And I told them, obey my voice. And you shall do according to all that I command you. And you shall be my people. And I shall be your Elohim. And all of this is in order to establish the covenant or the oath which I have sworn to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, not following the lips of somebody dripping honey. Don't go after what sounds good and it's sweet, that sweet talk. Well, maybe lips, maybe that's a, a, a euphemism for sweet talk. You know, lips dripping honey. 
Don't be following after that sweet talk. That's something that makes you feel good. Tells you what you want to hear. He said, I did all of this in order to establish the oath which I swore to your fathers. And I answered and said, Amen, Yahweh. <laughs> Jeremiah was like, it is agreed. And Yahweh said to me, proclaim all these words in the cities of Yehuda, in the streets of Yerushalayim, saying, hear the words of this covenant and do them. For I earnestly warned your fathers in the day that I brought them up out of the land of Mitzrayim until this day, rising early and warning, saying, obey my voice. No, so what's the rising early and warning? Did Yahweh actually do that? No. He sent the prophets who rose early and warned them every day. Don't do that. Don't do that. Yahweh's not going to be happy. You're going to bring the curses. Knock it off. Don't do that. And what they do to those wonderful speaking prophets? Killed them. We don't like those words. Kill them. The me, 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 I, I, I. Nobody wants to submit. It's not in us to want to submit. That's why submission is something that takes an effort, a conscious decision. Submission is not a natural thing. We don't just naturally submit. Again, we might have to define submission real quick, which is it doesn't come into play until you disagree with the one you're submitting with, the one you're submitting to. If you agree and you do what someone else says to do, that's agreement. That's not submission. If you do what somebody else says to do and you don't agree and don't like it and do it anyway, that's submission. Let's be careful and understand that. But it's submission because not it was imposed on you, not because you were threatened or abused or some other thing, but because you have chosen to trust. And we are a people that has very little trust. We don't trust ourselves. We don't trust each other. We don't trust our Elohim. We don't trust anybody, including ourselves. We have a real problem with trust. And why? Because it's been breached a million times in our lives. And so we have a real issue with trust. But that's what's going on here. He's saying, look, I tried to rise up early in the morning and warn you guys, obey my voice, obey my voice. But you got to trust him because obeying his voice may not be easy in the world we live in. It'd be easy if the world was his world. If everybody did obey his voice, there'd be no issue obeying his voice. But they don't. And so we're awed and we're tempted and we're looking at the honey dripping lips and we're going, hey, that looks good over there. We want to please others. We want to please ourselves and more than we want to please him. It gets tough. I mean, I, I, you know what? I get put in a hard position on a regular basis. People will call me up and essentially want me to say, it's okay under your circumstances to do A, B, or C, even though it breaks Torah, but it's so inconvenient and it puts you in such a hard place. So I should have some compassion on you. I don't have the authority to do any of that. So stop asking me to do that. For those who are listening, I just made a big smile like, please. Okay? Stop asking me to give you permission to break Torah. Call me when you're confused. Call me when you don't know what to do. Call me for encouragement. For, call me for counsel. But please, you know you're doing it. You know it's... Because you'll say to me, well, you know, I know I'm really not supposed to blah, blah, blah. But under the... No, you know you're not supposed to do it. So stop seeking me to give you permission. I don't have that authority. I'm going to use that from now on. When they come in and say, I'm sorry, I don't have the authority to give you permission to break Torah. So stop coming to me and asking me to do that. 
Because my heart, I'm still human, is to want to say yes. Is to, I feel your pain. I have empathy. I have sympathy and compassion. I can feel the temptation to tell you yes. And I can feel the, the I can, your whole disposition just drops when I tell you no. You can't do that. And you look at me like I just told you your you know, loved one died or something, you know. Because you're so downcast because life is about to get difficult because of Torah observance. I don't know. When I read the book, I didn't come into this expecting that life was going to just be simple. I came into this expecting it would be difficult once I made the choice to follow our Messiah and to keep the commandments. Because he told us it would. He said, you live in the world, and being in the world and not of the world is not going to be easy. That's why the, th- the one thing Yeshua prayed for before he died was what? Father, these are my disciples. I want you to not take them out of the world, but I want you to keep them from the world. Even though he just trained them for three years plus, whatever it was. I know there's arguments about how long. He just trained them personally. But yet, he knew they were going to have to live in this place called the world. And that would be a difficult place to live in truth. So why do you act surprised when your jobs are in jeopardy, your lives are in jeopardy, your children are in jeopardy, your relationships are in jeopardy? Did he not promise you that that would happen? He said, you pick me, you're going to be tested. How serious were you about picking me? By the way, husbands and wives, you're going to have the same problem. You pick each other, and then Abba's going to allow you to have so many fights and problems, you're going to wonder, why did I pick that person? Well, you picked them. Were you serious when you picked them? Is, is that really what you wanted? Oh, but you were in a hurry to get under that chuppah and get married. Now, some of you did make some mistakes. You got married too young. You didn't know what you're doing. But a lot of you, you thought you figured it out. You thought you thought it through. But really, were you being led by the me, me, me? Or were you really thinking it through? And did you want, or were you willing to own everything that goes with that. Now, clearly, the reason that divorce is in there is available, and those of you that are watching and may be freaking out right now, well, listen to the divorce and remarriage teaching, because we do make mistakes. But there are also those of us that didn't make a mistake, it's just difficult, it's hard. And it's not because, it's not hard because you made a mistake, it's hard because you're in it. It's hard because they're in it. Wow, you brought two human beings together, stuck them under the same roof, and said, you gotta be together forever. That's a formula for disaster right there. It's going to take a lot of work. We do not generally get... I mean, how many of you are still friends with the same friends since you were really, really little and tell me you didn't have at least a few blowouts? Maintaining a long-term relationship is difficult because they are human and so are you and that means each one of you is going to rub the other one the wrong way enough times till it blows up. It's going to happen. Now, you stick the two under the same roof... A man and a woman can't live together. A husband and a wife can. But in that relationship, the husband has to act different than just a man. And the wife has to act different than just a woman. And I was trying to tell us, we're not just people like all the rest of the world and the rest of the nations. We are a set-apart people, a covenanted people. So no longer can we just act like people. We have to act like Israelites who are covenanted. But if you stay a man and a woman who happens to have a certain belief, all right, so I'm a man who keeps Torah. No, you need to be a covenanted Israelite, and that's why you keep Torah. 
So you ask a Jew, why do you keep Torah? The Jew says, that's a dumb question. I'm a Jew. What do you mean? It's like asking a bird why it flies. Why do you fly? I'm a bird. Okay? See, some of you keep Torah because you chose to. Stop thinking that way. You keep Torah because it's what you were made to do. You only brought awareness to it. I mean, you only made aware of it more recently than when you were born. And you were brought to your, it was brought to your attention that you are made to do these things. It was made for you and you were made for it. Just like a bird flies or a fish swims, you were made to be covenanted in the context of Torah observance. Or using Torah observance in the context of covenant. Whichever way you want to look at it. But we struggle. And why do we struggle? Because we're, we're, we're messed up human beings. He says, proclaim all these words. He said, obey my voice. But they did not obey. This is now up to verse 8. They did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart. So I brought on them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, and they did not do. So unless you know what was going on in Deuteronomy and in Exodus, what he said, and if you break these laws, this is what's going to happen. He says, don't get mad at me now. I had warned you. He says in verse 7, I earnestly warned your fathers. And if they didn't warn you and all the generations down through it, I'm sorry, but I warned them and I told them. Even Moses made them memorize a song about it so that they wouldn't forget. He says, you need to know that you were warned. By the way, all of you that read this book, you have been warned on what happens in your life and where you are going or not going based on your choices. Because remember, the reason we exist is to make choices, right? The teaching I did on, on that, making decisions, the reason you exist but they did not obey or incline. In other words, it wasn't in them, so they had to make an effort to incline their ear. See, you're all used to the magic wand theory. You know, you make an altar call, you come and find out about Messiah, and then he does everything else for you, and you don't have to incline yourself. You have not lost any of your personal responsibility when you came to Messiah. It just became more important because now you understand the meaning of it. You know, I've said this a lot. Maybe I should say it again. When Messiah died and was resurrected, that did one important thing. It did a lot of things. I'll point to one important thing. It made what you do matter. Torah observance meant nothing until that moment. Anything you did didn't matter until that moment because what you did was still going to end up in death. So what he did was not do away with the law. He made it matter. He didn't do away with anything. He made everything you do matter. Because now there was an opportunity for life. And by the way, it was retroactive to the beginning of creation. That moment could have happened at any moment. It didn't mean that the people before he did it are just like out of luck. Okay? But everything they did... Made them heroes in Hebrews 11, right? These are the heroes. By faith, this one did this. And by faith, this one did that. And it was pointless because it was before he died. No. It only had meaning because he died and was resurrected. Now all they did, now they're awaiting the promises. Because it says none of them received the promises. They're all waiting on us and all to receive it together. I don't know how the Christians read that and think that so that means that when you die, you go right to heaven or something. No. If they didn't go, you certainly aren't going. They're all sitting and waiting. They're in some place where they're, there's not, they're, they're, they're that place of non-existent waiting. That's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and all the great, Noah, everybody that you read about in Hebrews 11. 
All the heroes. Oh, and you think you're better than all of them? Or that you deserve it more than them? I'm special. See, that's the, 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 really one of the other insidious things, I think, you know, in my opinion anyway, that Christianity does as a system. It makes everybody in it feel special. We're special. Well, you're just as much dirt, flesh-suited people as everybody else. He just happened to wake up your attention, now wants to see what you do with it. Doesn't make you more special than anybody. Well, we came into existence after the, the, the giving of the Spirit. Well, the Spirit existed and was in people way before Yeshua died in Acts chapter 1 and 2. Go listen to the teaching on understanding the Ruach. Okay? And so we have to understand, as we go through these things, it's critical that we get in us this understanding that this is all about our not inclining our ears and walking in the stubbornness of... Now, notice the word there is evil. Uh, our evil heart. Rabbi Tom defined it. I've defined it many times. He used my definition a couple of weeks ago. Evil is anything that goes against how Yahweh intended it to be. And we have a heart that wants to go in a direction that's not in line with what he wants. That's evil. It's our stubborn, wanting to go in our own direction, not his heart. Okay, we'll kind of expand that a little bit to make it maybe a little clearer. He says, each one is walking in the stubbornness of his, I want to do what I want, not what you want, heart. That's really a better translation, in my opinion. He says, so I brought on them all the words of the covenant, all the curses. And that's why, in case anybody's wondering why this is happening, you brought it on yourselves. And he says, and I'm going to allow it to happen so that they feel it. <laughs> they need to feel this. And Yahweh said to me, there is a conspiracy among the men of Yehuda and among the inhabitants of Yerushalayim. They have turned back to the crookednesses of their forefathers who refused to hear my words and they've gone after other mighty ones to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Yehuda have broken my covenant that I made with their fathers. Therefore, thus said Yahweh, see, I am bringing evil on them which they are unable to escape. Then they shall cry out to me, but I shall not listen to them. Ooh. Not going to listen to them. He's going to listen to generations later. Because this is a punishment that they brought on themselves. They deserved it. They earned it. And it will be a future generation that he hears the cries of. And the cities of Yehuda and the inhabitants of Yerushalayim shall go and cry out to the mighty ones to whom they burn incense. But they shall bring no deliverance to them at all in the time of their evil. For your mighty ones have become as many as your cities, O Yehuda, and you have set up as many altars to shame as there are streets in Jerusalem, altars burn incense to Baal. And you do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer for them, for I do not hear them in the time that they cry out to me because of their evil. Wow. Let this be a lesson to you. I get accused a lot of bad things about this kind of stuff. I have never said that you should only be friends with and interact with people that are in this particular group or organization. That is clear. Hopefully it's clear. I have never said it and never will say it. However, those that are doing the things they shouldn't be doing, and they're doing it on purpose, rebelliously, he says, sometimes he says, don't pray for them. They need to have the consequences. He's not saying don't pray for them that they won't wake up. He's saying don't pray for them to be taken out of the consequence. Let's be clear here. It doesn't say it. It's my interpretation, but it fits the context better than what you may have thought. He's not saying don't pray. Abba, let them learn their lesson. Abba, let their hearts change. He's saying no. He says, don't pray against the consequence. 
See, but a lot of you, somebody will leave and you'll go and coddle them. And I don't mean just leave. I mean they'll attack. They'll do whatever they're doing to be rebellious. And you'll go and coddle them and you'll ask somebody to intervene on their behalf on their consequences. And no, there shouldn't be any consequences. Uh, but no, you're not going to learn if there's no consequence. There needs to be consequence. So he's saying don't pray against the consequences because I'm not going to hear you if you do. Why should my beloved be in my house? She has done wickedness with many and does the set apart flesh remove you from your evil from you? Then you rejoice? So he's saying, look, in my house they shouldn't behave this way. This is the consequence. Don't ask me to remove the consequence. Yahweh has named you green olive tree, fair and goodly fruit with the noise of a great sound. He has set it on fire. All right, so we can end here. We'll, we'll just end here with this, okay? It makes the point that I want to make, and we're actually out of time. But this completes kind of the section here. But I want us to understand when he's talking about here, and he's going through, is he's saying, look, it's the same thing we're reading about in Proverbs. The, the, the honey dripping lips, the temptation to being awed by other things, not of him. And then being drawn to those other things, not of him. He says, that breaks covenant. We read chapter 10, and then in chapter 11, over and over, he says, this breaks covenant, this breaks covenant, this breaks covenant. And so we have to understand, it's all about covenant. It's not all about salvation. It's not all about Torah. It's, not, it's all about everything is in that context of what covenant is. And then everything flows out of that. Through covenant, you recognize where salvation is. Through covenant, you recognize where works are. Through covenant, you recognize where Torah belongs. It all is in the context of that thing called covenant. Amen? Amen. Okay, we'll pray. Father, we come before you. And Father, let us not be those that are walking and inclining ourselves to the stubbornness of our own evil hearts, but let us be softened to be yielding to your hand as the master potter, to be molded into the image of Yeshua, and to be yielding to your instruction and submissive to your authority. So Father, we just want to come to you and thank you and praise you and give you all the glory and honor for all the things that you've done in our life, the mercy, the compassion of pulling us out of the the places that we've been into the place where we actually know you now and we're starting to understand you and we're inclining our ears to your wisdom and your understanding so that we are not leaning on our own. Father, we do not want to depend on the path that we understand that leads to death, but the path you've laid out that leads to life. So Father, we thank you. We praise you and submit ourselves to you in authority and the authority of your Son, Yeshua, our Messiah. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to Now is the Time with Steve Berkson here on Hebrew Nation Radio. Now is the Time Radio is a production of MTOI, Messianic Torah Observant Israel. For more information, visit mtoi.org.